0: Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend Josh was standing in the delivery room in awe of the beauty of his brand new baby boy, Samuel. Sammy was just about an hour old at the time, but Josh was already more in love than he ever could have possibly imagined. And then... Samuel stopped breathing. And suddenly, Josh was pushed to the side as a team of medical professionals rushed into the room to do everything in their power to help that little tiny baby breathe. Several months later, with Samuel safe and healthy at home, Josh had some time to reflect about that moment in the delivery room. And he he wrote some things down, and I thought they were really quite beautiful. And this is part of what he said. It will perhaps sound melodramatic for me to say this, but I have concluded that this was the single most horrifying and sad moment of my life. One of the reasons I'm sure of this is right then, while I was standing helplessly, staring on as a few doctors massed around my helpless son, I quickly and involuntarily ran through a list of all the other most terrifying and saddest moments of my life, and just as quickly and involuntarily concluded that this was worse than each of those. I considered each of them singly, felt the sting and hurt each of those moments had caused, and then felt this one in comparison, and each time it felt worse. I thought and felt many other things in that moment. After thinking through all those other terrible moments in my life, I thought about how profoundly sad it was. All the time, effort, waiting, hoping... And this was how the last almost year of our lives, Brooks, mine, and Sam's, would end. I thought about Abraham carrying Isaac to the altar. And the rest of my religious experiences, especially the Jewish ones, raced through my mind. One thought that stuck. I thought of Dayenu, the Hebrew word that names a song, and the refrain of that song sung at my family's yearly Passover seders. Dayenu in Hebrew means it would have been enough. The song is about all the things that God did to help the Jews from captivity to freedom. And each verse ends with Dayenu. It would have been enough. Had God brought us forth from Egypt but never built for us a temple, it would have been enough. Had God built us a temple but never hallowed our lives with the commandments, it would have been enough. There are ten refrains each echoing the earlier ten plagues upon Egypt. I thought, if Sam now died, after having been here for just one hour, it would have been enough. Or really, it would have to have been enough. That might sound laconic, but I felt anything like that in the moment. The contradictory and powerful emotions locked up within the Dayenu, such an ancient word It couldn't help but seem onomatopoeic, spread out over millennia of transmitted experiences and burst forth into my own soul. What I thought was, this will be the saddest thing that has ever happened in my life, a thing from which I will never recover. But if he was here for only that one hour, it would have to be enough. A widow and her son... Their bodies, sucked dry by a famine that just wouldn't quit, are scouring the earth to find some sticks, to build the most meager of fires, to bake the tiniest of cakes before laying down to die. And along comes Elijah, and Elijah is a man of God, and of course, the God whom Elijah represents is the very author of this famine, or at least that's how the story goes. And Elijah comes along and says, Hey, I know you're hungry, but would you mind baking me a cake? Seriously? And so she says, Come on, let me show you what I got. And the the writer in Hebrew uses the language very specifically to illustrate just how little she has. Less than a handful of flour. A few drops of oil. And literally two sticks. That's all she has. And he wants a cake. And Elijah says, I know. It doesn't look like much. But the Lord has promised to sustain you. The Lord will provide until the day that the rain starts falling again. This story is often used to illustrate Uh, Something that that we often talk about a kind of comparison or a, a dichotomy in the life of faith. Whereas human beings are so often given to believe the myth of scarcity. That is, there's never enough. Never enough time, never enough money, never enough friends, never enough power, never enough land, never enough whatever. And because there's never enough What little we have, we hold on tightly and cling to it, desperately hoarding it for ourselves because we know if we let go of it, there might not be enough for tomorrow. And over and against our desire to hold on tightly to what little we think we have, God is a God of abundance. And God enters into our stories and breaks them open and says, No, there is more than enough. This God is found throughout the scriptures. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Psalm 23, my cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. The trees of the field clap their hands. The mountains and the hills break forth and singing. There is water gushing from the rocks in the deserts. Ours is a God of abundance. In a world that so often believes the lie of scarcity, Well, I believe that, and I have encountered and glimpsed that God at times in my life, and it's a gift when it happens. But then I thought more about this story. You see, ten years ago, one of the finest preachers and biblical uh, theologians I've ever met, namely my wife, was preparing to preach on this text of the Elijah and the widow, and she had read all the same commentaries and listened to all the same commentators that we had, and, and had been a part of that conversation about scarcity and God's abundance, until she said, "Am I missing something?" She said, "I don't see abundance in this text. I don't see abundance in this story. I see scarcity, to be sure, two sticks in a lot of sticks." there is no abundance here. Rather, the promise is simply that there will be enough. Elijah doesn't say to the woman, you're going to have loaves of bread coming out your ears, right? God's going to rain down more than enough from the heavens. But rather, simply God promises that the jar won't be empty. The jug won't run dry. There will be enough. Maybe just enough but enough. And it seems to me that that matters. It matters because, indeed, I have encountered a God of abundance at times in my life. But perhaps more often, I have encountered a God who provides perhaps just enough. When I have prayed for a miracle and the answer wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Times when I have had far more questions than answers Way more doubt than what I might call faith. Times when I, I longed to know God's abundance and generosity and extravagance, but felt a little dry. And I, I wonder how many of you have had that experience. I wonder how often on any given Sunday morning, sitting in pews here and around the world, there are folks who look around and wonder if they're missing something. Because that guy over there seems to be full of faith. That lady's got the Holy Spirit coming out her ears. That person has miracles happening in their lives day after day. And I can barely point to one. That person's life has been turned around and I still feel like I'm just slogging through. I wonder how often there are folks who feel like they're not quite so flush with the faith and the grace and the extravagance and abundance that so many others at least seem on the surface to have. And if that has ever been you, then this might just be a story for you. A story of a God who provides, who sustains, maybe sometimes just enough There have been seasons in my life when that abundance of God has not been clear to my eyes. That God's sustenance, God's provision for me has felt pretty small. Maybe not even visible to the naked eye. And yet I'm still here. And God somehow held me together and carries me through. And that is God's gift for you. Shortly after I was confirmed, I spent a long time wondering and wandering and doubting and questioning and searching and spending lots of time with pretty much everybody but Jesus. And I've told this story before. Several years later, I was in college and there was a crisis in my family, and by sheer coincidence, I was driven literally to the foot of the cross for a night of prayer. And after that, as I slowly began to work my way back into the church and more importantly, back into faith. I made a commitment to go each Wednesday night to the Holden Evening Prayer Service and the Eucharist, Holy Communion, on campus. Now, we celebrated communion there the same way we celebrate communion here and in most places, which is to say, you know, I I realize it's getting on close to noon here. If you are physically hungry right now, you're probably not going to get full on what you're going to receive in the next few minutes. A tiny little lump of bread. Sometimes a tasteless wafer. Barely enough wine or juice to slick it down your throat. And yet somehow in this meal we believe there is enough. Just enough. But enough. This weekend we celebrate the 499th anniversary of when Martin Luther asked a question of the church. It was a really quite simple question. Isn't God's grace enough? I mean, really, the whole Reformation could kind of be boiled down to that simple question. Isn't God's grace enough? That was a question the church wasn't very excited about hearing because, you know, in those days they were making some pretty sweet bank on making sure that you didn't think you were enough. You hadn't accomplished enough, done enough good, and you could definitely buy your way into it if you just tried hard enough. A few coins can really grease the skids. But 499 years later, apparently, almost all the Christian movements in the world officially believed that Luther was right. That indeed, grace is enough. It is God's doing and God's grace, and it is enough. It's enough to be the church that we hear unequivocally that God loves you. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been gathered into God's gracious story. And we taste and see and hold that gift in water, wine, and wheat. Word and sacrament, that's all it takes to be the church. And it is enough. Technically, we all apparently believe that. We sure don't live as if it were true. We live as if we still live in a world of scarcity, where there is never enough, where I'm not good enough, haven't accomplished enough, haven't done enough of the right things, haven't gotten where I need to go, don't have enough friends, all that stuff. tells me who I am. Not God's sufficient grace. But folks, that is the good news. The good news for you this morning may not be that you will be overwhelmed by God's abundant grace. But for each and every one of you, trust this promise. You are enough. Because God has said so. And God's grace is sufficient for you. God's word of love has wrapped you eternally in God's sustaining provision of grace. At this table, you will receive, maybe just enough for one more day, but you will receive a promise that cannot be taken away because our God has promised to us and to the widow and to all those who have gone before us that there will always, always be enough. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.